Thank you very much, church. It's good to be here with you. I'm going to start by showing you an image. Uh, can we get that on the screen? I don't know if these kinds of images are around much anymore. It's a magic eye image. And the idea is that it looks like just a kind of jumbled blur of colours, but if you sort of strain your eyes a bit, almost try and look through the image, it might be that shapes start to come out of that image at you. It's going to give you a few minutes to do that. Um, I, I'm not very good at seeing these. I remember a friend of ours as we were growing up had this on their wall, or one like this, and we kind of go around and spend hours just kind of stood, kind of squinting at their wall, trying to, trying to see these images coming out at us. Can anyone see anything coming out of those images? Anything there? Anyone think they've got something? <laughs> a forest up at the top. Okay. Anything else? What there is actually in this picture, believe it or not, is there are three monkeys hidden in this image. Um, and if you can kind of look through it, they, can, they kind of come out at you. Once you've seen it, you, you can kind of not, it's hard to stop seeing it. But anyway, no one saw it in any of the other meetings either, so you're okay. <laughs> it might be the angriest at it. But the thing is, we can kind of strain our eyes to try and look through this image and try and see this, this, this shape coming out of us. And I think, you know, it can sometimes be like that with God, that we're straining our eyes in the circumstances of our lives or in the worship here on a Sunday, we're kind of straining to see God and think kind of, where are you in this? Would you speak to me, God? And yet actually he's there. He is, he is around us in every situation. And I'm going to talk to you this morning about how we can kind of be aware of God's presence in the everyday, in the ordinary Neil talked last week about the glory of the church. And what I really want to do today is to kind of pick up from what Neil said and to think about this glory and think, well, how does that translate to the ordinariness and the mundaneness and perhaps the repetition of our everyday lives? See, no matter what hopes or dreams you have for this year, the likelihood is that much of it will be worked out through ordinary moments in ordinary days. Much of it will be routine, repetitive, mundane, and repetitive. That was a joke. That was to see if you were awake. Did anyone notice? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. okay. If you brush your teeth twice each day for two minutes a time, then this year you will spend 1,460 minutes, or just over 24 hours, a whole day of 2018 brushing your teeth. If you are like me, anything like me at all, you will spend hours this year searching for things that you've lost, fixing things that you've broken, or trying to tidy up the mess that you've made. And you will spend hours this year waiting, whether it's on the phone, in a waiting room, or in a supermarket. Now, I don't know about you, but all this repetition and ordinariness and brokenness can leave me wanting more. I mean, isn't the, the life of a Christian meant to be extraordinary? There's that moment in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, where Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. What that means is his appearance changes, so his, his clothes become bright and the appearance of his face changes. And in that moment, it's like Jesus' true identity is in some way being unveiled. And Peter, James and John, who are with him on this mountain, it's like they see something of Jesus' glory. And Peter says to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's pitch a tent for you. 
And I kind of know how Peter feels in that moment, because I've had those moments too, where I've kind of seen God for who he is, something of the glory of God. I wonder if you've ever had that. Maybe it's at a conference, maybe it's here in church on a Sunday, maybe it's as you're reading your Bible, you see something of who Jesus is, and you, and you kind of want to stay in that moment. For me, I'm like, Peter, I want, to, I want to stay. I want to say to Jesus, why can't we do more of this? Let's stay in this place. Let's just hang here in this place where I see you as you are. We tend to want a Christian life with all the dull bits cut out. A mountaintop Christianity. But as we all know, life isn't lived on the mountaintop. There are meals to cook. There are essays to write. There are arguments to resolve. There are tax returns to fill in. There's work to do. And then there's the more serious stuff, things like job losses and hospital appointments and sickness. Well, how do we approach that stuff this year? The American writer Rod Dreher says this, it's actually easy to think about what you were doing wartime or if a hurricane blows through or if you won the lottery. It's a lot more difficult to figure out how you're going to get through today without despair. So how do we live as Christians amongst the ordinary, the repetitive, and the broken? We're going to look this morning at a passage from the book of Philippians. It's Philippians 4. It's a very well-known passage. If you've got a Bible, it's really helpful if you could turn to it now. It's Philippians 4, verses 12 to 13. If you don't have a Bible, that's no problem at all. It'll come up on the screen behind me. So this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He writes this, Philippians 4, verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for those moments where we see you as you are. And I ask that you'd help us to see you this morning more clearly. As we unpack this passage, as we look at it, Lord God, would you show us again who you are? Would you reveal something of your glory to us that it might strengthen us and encourage us, that we might go out into this world knowing you? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get the context here of this passage. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's awaiting a trial that could lead to his execution. This is a man who is familiar with suffering. He's been through times of plenty and he's been through times of poverty. And yet through it all, he writes that he's learned the secret of being content. Now what is this secret that Paul has learned? Well, it's this, it's that Jesus Christ is sufficient in all things. In all things. See, Paul had seen Jesus on an ordinary road to Damascus where his, his life is heading in one direction, Jesus breaks in, the extraordinary breaks in. And Jesus gets hold of this man and the purpose of his life is never the same again. And what Paul learned over time is that Jesus was enough for him. And you know, I think this is really encouraging for us that Paul learned this secret Because it's a process, it's something that we can learn. We can learn to be content in all things. See, for Paul, he learned that his, his contentment didn't depend on his circumstances. So in times of plenty, he wouldn't put his trust in the things that had made the situation good. And in times of poverty, he wouldn't become anxious or worry. 
See, his, his contentment seems to be unshakable, even from prison. And you know, it's fair to say that in our culture, that kind of contentment is very, very rare. You don't need to be too long in a conversation with people or too long part of a WhatsApp group or on social media to see that many people are unhappy and anxious and frustrated. You hear it in the words that they use, you hear it in the tone. How about you? What sorts of things affect your level of contentment? How content are you? Do earthly things shake how content you are? As I was thinking ahead to this this sermon this morning, uh, apparently last Monday was Blue Monday. And this is the day of the year when apparently more people are depressed and down and low than any other day of the year. And there's actually a a formula for working out which day of the year is going to be Blue Monday. And and it relates to things that are, I think, quite unscientific, but things like kind of what the weather's going to be like, what what the level of debt, the number of days we are from Christmas. And this day, last Monday, was meant to be the day that we're kind of least content, if you like, when we're most sort of depressed and down. What about you? What shakes your level of contentment? Is it shaken easily? Is it, is it knocked easily by earthly things? I want to suggest this morning that to live as a Christian in this world is to hold in balance two things that seem to be direct opposites, two, see, two things that seem like they won't fit together. It's to be content in the ordinary, but at the same time restless for the extraordinary. Content in the ordinary and restless for the extraordinary. So we're going to look at those two things today. See, sometimes we can be so focused on what we'd like God to do in the future that we miss what he's doing in the the now, in the very ordinary moments of our day. Genesis 25 to 33 tells the story of a guy called Jacob. Now, in in many ways, Jacob is a very ordinary guy. In some ways, perhaps he's a little bit too ordinary. This is a a guy that kind of conspires with his mum to cheat his dad and and cheat his brother. And he goes on the run because his brother Esau wants to kill him. And what he does on, on the run, on this journey, is he lays his head down to rest. And in this very ordinary place, he has a dream. And the dream is anything but ordinary. In this dream, he sees a ladder, a stairway that reaches from the earth up to heaven. And he sees the angels of God ascending and descending on this ladder. And God speaks to him on this, in this dream. And he says this, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And then here's the line. When Jacob woke up, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place And I was not aware of it. I wonder how often do we do ordinary things totally unaware of God's presence. And yet God has promised time and again never to leave us. See David who wrote Psalm 139 knew something about the omnipresence of God. He writes this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens you're there. If I make my bed in the depths you're there. There's not a moment when we're apart from God and yet we so easily get distracted. Our minds wander ahead to this and that, all the while missing what he's doing in the here and now. I wonder how many of the Lord's small kindnesses do we miss throughout an ordinary week? God is interested in the whole of your life, not just what happens here on a Sunday, but the whole of your week. See, sometimes the danger is we separate our lives into what we think of as the spiritual and the ordinary. 
So over here in the spiritual, you've got kind of the, the church stuff. Sunday, you've got your small group maybe, and maybe there's that time that you set aside to speak to God and hear from him, read the Bible. And then over here, you've got the ordinary stuff. So you've got the, the work, the kind of Monday to Friday stuff, if you like. You've got the, the films that you watch, the, the conversations, the meals that you have, maybe the school run, the washing up. But the danger of doing that is we think God's only interested in this part over here. He's interested in the whole of your life. I think when we, when we separate our lives like that, it's helpful to remember that Jesus lived as a human being. And he slept, and he ate, and he drank, and he had conversations, and he, and he worked. And for years of his life, we don't know anything. It's not even written down what he did in that time, but he lived as a human being. And I think if God lived out years of ordinary humanity, then the ordinary matters to God, the mundane stuff as well as the mountaintop. Don't miss the joy in the ordinary. There's joy to be had in the ordinary. I've got myself a contentment mentor. And, and my contentment mentor teaches me what it means to maintain a sense of wonder at the world. Here she is. This is, uh, this is Anna, our little girl. She was two uh, last Thursday. I have the privilege of doing some very ordinary things with Anna. Every day she comes with us on our walk to school as we take our older children to school. And every day, without fail, she will point at the same things that we've seen every day for months before. So she'll point at the swans and she'll say, swans. And sometimes I've even known her to get excited about it and go, swans, hooray. And it's, and it's these things that I miss out on, she sees. See, she pulls me back into the moment when my mind is elsewhere. She, she teaches me, forces me, if you like, to focus on the now. She helps me to keep a sense of wonder at things that to me have become very commonplace and very ordinary. My two-year-old, Anna, teaches me mindfulness. She reminds me of things that I'd otherwise overlook. And I wonder, if I miss the swans, what else do I miss? See, what joys do we miss out on through being so distracted? What conversations could we have if we would just slow down? What opportunities might we have to listen to people, to love people, to serve people? God is in this place, and I was not aware of it. There was a monk called Brother Lawrence. Uh, he wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And aside from the Bible, it's thought that in the history of Christian literature, this is just about the best-selling book. See, through regular habits, Brother Lawrence had trained his eyes to see God in his everyday life. Where other people kind of saw blur, where other people couldn't see him, he was aware of the presence of God. And he, he says this, It is necessary to always be aware of God's presence by talking with him throughout each day. To think that you must abandon conversation with him in order to deal with the world is erroneous, meaning incorrect or wrong. See, it wasn't that Brother Lawrence did extraordinary things. It was that actually he did ordinary things with an awareness of God's presence. And I think we can learn this too by talking to him constantly throughout the day. See, the truth is that much of your Christian life for much of your life, you might look very similar, actually, in what you're doing to what your non-Christian neighbours and friends are doing. It's not only kind of what we do that's different. It's kind of who we do it for. It's who we do it for. We have a group of uh, teenage girls at King's who dance. Now, if you came to one of our carol concerts at Christmas, you'll have seen them in the video. Can we get the pic? There they are. It might have been, I think it probably was, the first time that you saw these girls dancing, if you saw them in that video. 
And yet they come here to church on a Monday night and they dance here every week. And the reason you won't have seen them before is they don't really do this for other people. They call their group Dancing for Jesus. And it's like they take this ordinary thing, this dancing, and they do it for him. It's part of their worship to him. It's an ordinary thing that is done for his glory. Paul, in another one of his letters, writes this, Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. See, anything we do as part of our ordinary life can be done for him unless it's, unless it's sin. Because, of course, there's a challenge in here too. And that is this. Could you take all the things that you do in your life right now and do them for him? Or would an awareness of his presence change what you do? Would it change the conversations that you have? Would it change what you watch? Would it change the sorts of things that you do? Not seeing him as kind of a tyrant wagging his finger at you, waiting for you to mess up, but as this loving father who, who loves you so much that you just want to please with every aspect of your life. See, our approach to the ordinary things is every bit as important and just as much part of our worship as what we do here on a Sunday. So what if we took those ordinary, repetitive, mundane things and did them for him? If we worked for him, created things for him, fixed things for him, parented for him, if everything that we did, we had an awareness that actually we're doing it for him, what would that look like? Well, surely it would mean that we do ordinary things joyfully, knowing that actually everything that we have is a gift from him. Perhaps to be the only person in our workplace who is not grumbling, but who's doing it joyfully. Surely it would mean doing ordinary things with excellence, not perfection, not being worried about making a mistake, but trying to do things as well as we can for him, knowing that he's given us the gifts and the skills that we have and wanting to serve him well with those things. Surely it would mean doing ordinary things generously, being aware that actually all the, the things that we have are his anyway. Surely it would mean doing nothing out of a need to earn his love and everything out of the knowledge that we're his beloved sons and daughters. Does your faith impact on these ordinary mundane moments of your everyday life? If not, I believe you're missing out on the transformation that God wants to bring to your whole life. He's interested in your whole life. And you know, character can be grown through ordinary things. Tish Harrison Warren is an Anglican priest, and she writes this book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. It's a lovely little book, this. And we don't have it at the bookshop here, but you can order it in or you can order it online. It's called uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary. And every chapter of this book focuses on a different ordinary and repetitive thing that the author does during the day. Things like making the bed, brushing her teeth, answering emails. And she talks about how character and contentment can be grown in even these small things. She writes this, I often want to skip the boring daily stuff to get to the thrill of an edgy faith. But it's in the dailiness of the Christian faith, the washing the dishes, the praying for our enemies, the reading the Bible, the quiet, the small, that God's transformation takes root and grows. See, now in the ordinary, in the everyday, is the proving ground of who we worship. And it's here in these small little things that our character is formed. And like Paul, we can learn contentment. And you know, contentment is more powerful than you think. Contentment can seem a very small thing, but in a world where people are restless and frustrated and anxious, contentment brings glory to God. 
Because it, it shows that actually your, your, your hope isn't in these earthly things. You have a bigger hope, a deeper hope. Your contentment is somewhere else. And you know, people are drawn to people who are at peace. This seems like a small, insignificant thing, but your contentment can be a powerful witness. People will ask, what is it about you? What is it about this person? What secret does this person know that I haven't found? Contentment is a powerful witness to God. So we're to be content in this life, like Paul. But notice this, Paul was content in this life, but he wasn't content with this life. There was a restlessness about Paul too. We're going to look at that. So just a chapter earlier, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he writes this. Chapter 3 of Philippians, he writes this. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Pressing on, straining. You get this image of this guy who's pushing forward with everything in his body. Almost like a 100 meter sprinter who's sort of dipping to cross the line. And this is what Paul was like. This is how he lived. He always had his eye on the finishing line. He was always looking ahead. See, the, the danger is we can get so settled and so accustomed to the ordinary that we actually forget the extraordinary. We can even fall in love with the things of the world and forget who we are. See, Paul's real secret to contentment in the now was that he knew who he was and he knew where he was going. It's content in the ordinary and restless for the extraordinary. You know, it's because his eyes were fixed on where he was going that he was able to be content in this life. He had a bigger hope. He had a, a deeper hope that earthly problems couldn't shake. He knew who he was. How about you? How about you? If you're not a Christian here, here today and all your hope is in this life, then I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you to, to ask this God to reveal who he is to you, to show you. He can do that in any ordinary place. He did that for Paul, for Jacob, in ordinary places. He broke in, got hold of them, and changed the purpose of their life. And that's the story of many people in this church too, that they were just living an ordinary life in an ordinary place, and God broke in and changed everything. And I believe if you ask him to do that, he'll do that for you too. But if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're in Christ, I want to tell you the Bible says you are a new creation. This isn't just an add-on. Your faith isn't just an extra thing. Your whole identity has changed. Your eternal destination has changed. And sure, most days you probably wake up in the morning and feel pretty ordinary. I know that I do. And you can look at yourself at the mirror and think, this is just an ordinary person. And perhaps the way that you approach things in your day might feel very ordinary. But the Bible says that if you're a Christian, your identity has completely changed. Your citizenship is in heaven. See, whatever ordinary things that we're doing this year, we are waiting. And there ought to be a godly restlessness that is in us. And the reason for that is that we were not made for this world. And so we yearn and we groan and we wait. Are any of you here fans of Grand Designs? I'm a big fan of Grand Designs. Any, any other Grand Designs fans in the room? Okay. Or any of those other property development programs. If you've ever watched those programs, you'll know that there's often a time when the house is being knocked down and redeveloped. And so the couple or the family have to move out of the home and they have to live in a caravan or in like temporary housing in their garden. 
And they take all their things and they go and live in this small space. And I wonder, I try and think, what must it be like for these people living in that, in that time? See, there's the hope of the, the new home, but there's also the mess of the building site. And some people wait really well. And you can see it. They, they kind of, they know where they're going and they're hanging on to the big picture of this vision they have of what things are going to be like. And if they've got kids, perhaps they've pulled the kids into the vision too and the kids are excited. They get the purpose too. Yes, things are bad now. Yes, things are messy now, but their eyes are so fixed on where they're going that their contentment isn't shaken by it. Do you know, it's amazing what contentment you can have now if you know where you're going in the future. And yet, you know, some people in those programs, they start to despair. They can't, it's like, it's like they had a, a, a big picture of where they were going but things are taking longer than they hope to take shape and they start to lose heart and the building site has become too much. And it's like they're looking at the mess around them and they're thinking, are we going to be in this building site forever? Is this ever going to take shape? They had this big vision of what the new place was going to be like, but somewhere along the line, it's got lost and plans get shelved and people get stuck. Listen, you are living in temporary housing. All these things around us that seem so solid that people tend to put their hopes in, they will pass away. But the truth is, this isn't Groundhog Day. We're not stuck in the repetitive. See, the hope of the Christian is that the world is moving towards a day when Jesus will return in glory, when we'll see him as he really is, and we'll see heaven, and there'll be eternity, and we'll know him. And when now we just get glimpses amongst the mundane of who he is, there we'll see him in all his glory. And when now it's just little moments there, the mountaintop will become the new normal. And there'll be no more longing and no more restlessness. Remember Jacob and his dream about that ladder. He had that vision of the ladder, the stairway that goes from earth up to heaven. The angels, and the, the angels ascending and descending on it. Well, in John's gospel, Jesus is talking to a guy called Nathaniel. John 1.51, he says this to Nathaniel. You will see heaven open... And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And what Jesus is doing is like he's saying to Nathaniel, you know that dream that Jacob had about that stairway? Well, that was about me. It's about him. See, he is the ladder. He has reached down into our world. He's the one who brings the reality of God's presence down into this broken world. And he comes and he searches for the lost and he fixes the broken and he brings order out of chaos. And where there's decay and death, he brings life. He is making all things new. And you know, he calls us the church, this glorious but at the same time ordinary group of people to be part of this amazing purpose. Sometimes in huge, scary ways, but more often than not in quite small, ordinary, mundane ways. Because we're ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. See, for Christians, there ought to be a godly restlessness in us. But the question is, what do you do with it? Does the brokenness in our world just leave you feeling overwhelmed? Does the repetition and the ordinariness of it lead you to despair or hopelessness? Does it make you want to give up? Or does it lead you into prayer and action? To take that extraordinary vision of our extraordinary God and use it to shape how you live your ordinary life. To trust that although you're here temporarily, you are here for purpose. Do you know, our town needs us to stay restless. 
Our town needs us to stay restless. There's a broken world out there. Our town needs us to be involved in, not to back off from this world. Where there's sickness, to pray for healing. Where there's chaos in small ways to bring order where we can. Where there's injustice to bring justice. Where there's hatred and bitterness and anxiety to bring love and peace and contentment. Where there's death to cry out to God to bring life. Our town needs us to stay restless. And do you know what? We need this for each other in the church as well. Because sometimes even when we know who God is, when we've seen him, we lose sight of it. And we need each other to pull, it, to pull us kind of back up, to, to remind us in our times of suffering or, or ordinariness where we've taken our eyes off Jesus to remind us who he is. We need that. We need to stay restless. See, some people learn the secret of waiting well. Will you be one of them this year? Will you see God through the building site? By all means, savour the joy in the ordinary, but never reduce your life's purpose to the here and now. And finally, I want to say this. How can we live like that? How can we live like that in 2018? Well, Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Do you know, we can't do any of this in our own strength. And Jesus promises that his power and his presence are available to us now in our day-to-day life. If you're anything like me, you will need that. Not just for the crisis times, but for our ordinary things too. You'll need constant revelation of who he is. You'll need his strength to live like this. You'll need grace, knowing that actually there's going to be some days when we mess this up completely and need to fall on his forgiveness and his grace and his loving hand. So how will you live this year? Will you be so restless for God to move in the future that you miss his joy in the now? Or will you be so caught up in the now that you lose sight of who you are and where you're going? Let's keep our eyes fixed on him this year. May the glory of the church translate to our ordinary everyday moments. Would we be content in the ordinary and restless for the extraordinary? Amen? Amen. Amen.